I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to a celebratory end-of-year edition of the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. Today, we're scrolling back 2017 to hear some of the standout moments of the year in gardening. Once again, it's been a remarkable 12 months. A major new RHS flower show at Chatsworth House in Derbyshire was launched. Chris Evans broadcast his flagship BBC radio show live from a vegetable garden at Chelsea. Our science teams revealed some groundbreaking research challenging us all to rethink how we're going to grow in a changing climate. And a multi-million pound investment project saw RHS Garden Wisley begin its transformation into a horticultural and scientific hub to inspire the gardeners of the future. So my name is Matthew Pottage and I'm the curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. And it's a very exciting time at Wisley, it's a time of change and you know, it really gives us the opportunity to you know, future-proof Wisley for the next hundred years. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor for the RHS Members magazine The Garden. The transformations aren't just confined to Wisley. In our other gardens, exciting new developments are being gradually revealed to the public. At Hyde Hall in Essex, one of the most innovative is the new Global Growth Vegetable Garden. Hyde Hall began life in 1955 as a private garden with just six trees, but stunning views across the landscape. The site is cold and windy, and the soil on the slopes is a really heavy, sticky clay. But the RHS teams and their predecessors have worked hard to transform this unpromising site into a stunning set of gardens. This year, they grew a range of surprising, challenging and unusual crops from around the world, including electric daisies, quinoa, chickpeas and shark's fin melons, all on a windy hilltop near Chelmsford. We visited garden manager Matthew Oliver to hear some inspirational grow-your-own ideas. The new Global Growth Veg Garden is a brand new veg garden here, a project that's been sort of in the pipeline for a good four or five years. Um, finally opened after an 18-month build programme and it's very unusual and different veg garden to anything else you'll see elsewhere in the country really because of the way it's designed and the concept behind it. It's a circular garden, so completely different from all the squares and rectangles and walled gardens, productive gardens we know and love and visit up and down the country. So completely different shape and then that circle is divided into four different quarters and each quarter represents a different continent area of the world. Europe and the Middle East, you've got Asia, North and Central America and South America as well. Um, and the whole point of it is that we're growing plants in the 
continent area in which they originate from, so showing people where food plants come from. It's really sort of completely changed the way people use Hyde Hall. In the centre of the circle, we've got a, a 14 metre diameter octagonal glass house that's been bespoke made for us from Hartley Botanic. So, really, that's our first bit of glass we've got here at Hyde Hall. So, people loving that as a new feature. Um, lots of, uh, for now, traditional glass house crops in there. So, tomatoes, chilies, cucumbers, melons, that kind of stuff. Few unusuals in there. And then the garden is situated at the south side of the old hilltop garden where it's our, our nursery used to be here um, that's now moved that was all back a house so opened up the garden a whole new area to people and we've got great views um, looking south across the estate and on, onto the wider parts of rural Essex basically we've only been open a couple of months most people seeing it for the first time when they come so it's really popular you can hear people wandering around going oh I never knew that could grow that here. <laughs> so this was designed by uh, Lady Zartol Marsh and her design studio. She's a garden advisor here at Hyde Hall and she's also on RHS Council as well. And uh, I think her inspiration from the garden came from the uh, when we hosted the Olympics in London with the, with the prairie-style plantings along the river there with stuff from different continents. That's where she got her idea from. When it comes to the planting, we're doing lots of different things really. So we're covering the basic grow your own things, all the things you'd know and love, um, but just being grown in an area that shows people where they come from. And then above and beyond that, there's lots of unusual edibles, lots and lots, um, and that includes a couple of different things. So includes edible plants that people will have heard of but might never have seen growing before, so you can make that association between the food that they know and eat and how it's grown. Then there's lots of garden plants, what I call garden plants in here that we'd grow, people would grow at home, we'd grow in the rest of Hyde Hall, um, but have a part of them that's edible that people might not know about. So good examples of that would be things like dahlias and cannas and the daylilies and hostas and, and hardy ginger, things that we'd grow in the, in the rest of the garden as ornamental plants, but you wouldn't sort of know, oh, know what part of that do you eat so it's educational from that point of view and then the bit that's most interesting for me is trying to grow the stuff that's horticulturally really pushing our luck you know that's the bit that adds the excitement to my job you know trying to grow things like chickpeas and soybeans and stuff that wants a real nice long hot summer that goes on and on and on real horticultural challenge so doing lots of different things Matthew Oliver in the Global Growth Garden at RHS Hyde Hall in Essex. The garden is open from 10am to 4pm every day with last entry an hour before closing. You can find out more information, see photos and read about special events at all four RHS gardens on the website at rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. And remember entry to all four of our gardens is free for members, just one of the many benefits of joining the RHS. 2017 was a bumper year for flower shows. Chelsea's annual floral spectacular showcased inspirational gardening from around the globe. Award-winning designer and RHS ambassador Nigel Dunnett took centre stage with his innovative garden, focusing on our Green and Grey Britain campaign. It demonstrated how urban environments can be transformed by simple, cost-effective techniques. I'm Professor Nigel Dunnett and I'm the designer for this year's RHS Green and Grey Britain Garden. 
It's a really exciting garden this year because we're trying to present a very different image about what Charles is all about. We have a very urban context here and we're looking at the challenges of how we can bring green and nature and soils and beautiful vibrant surroundings into even the most challenging high density urban environments. We want to make the idea of horticulture and gardens jump over the garden wall so it's not just about the private garden the back garden the front garden but it's how this can move out into our public spaces and into the places where we live and work and to make beautiful places for people to enjoy and to feel good in but to give us all of the environmental benefits that we really know that plants and soils of nature provide for us. I think there are three or four things which are going to be really dramatic in the garden. First of all, to set the context, we have a full-scale apartment block structure which will actually have balconies attached to it, which will be accessible. You'll be able to go and see the detail in there, as well as small front gardens, backyards. We really want to try and pack as much inspirational, exciting, innovative ideas about how we can get green and gardens and plants into even the smallest of spaces. So that'll be really interesting, lots of take-home things there. I guess the most dramatic feature in the garden is going to be Chelsea's first ever street art wall, which will be a 12 metre length, 3 metre high wall. It'll be the main thing you see as you look into the garden. And I'm working with two really great street artists that have their work all over Sheffield, all over the country, international as well. And what's really great about Phonographic and Rocket, who I'm working with, is that they work with elements of the natural world, urban wildlife, birds, plants and animals, and really bring them into the inner city. And of course that is exactly what we're trying to do and show with the Green and Grey Garden uh, example here. I think another really important element of the Green and Grey Garden this year is that we're using materials and techniques which are simple, recognisable, cheap, but they won't look cheap because we'll be doing them obviously for Chelsea in a very artful way. So our intention is to really revive the whole idea of crazy paving, which most people think is a really naff thing. Um, but we're going to be using recycled municipal uh, concrete paving slabs cleaned up and arranged in a really beautiful way uh, with a lot of craftsmanship to it because anybody can make pa crazy paving and the great thing about it is is it's permeable but it lets the rainwater through we can fill it up with plants the other big material we're using is concrete poured concrete i mean the most common material anywhere if you like but we're using black concrete and we're going to make we're going to finish it off with really beautiful textures but again it's something anybody could use Maybe not in the way at Chelsea, but it's something that's really applicable. And the same with the planting. I mean, it's, in a way, everyday plants use very creatively. There's no trickery to the planting in this year's garden. It's the sort of thing I work with all the time, in the same sort of combinations. And the idea is simple to maintain, but it gives really high payback in terms of looking good all year round. It's good in the winter as it does in the summer. And I hope people again can see, well, the way it's done, the way that I put it together the way that they might put it together. The show also saw the RHS teaming up with BBC celebrities to produce surprising and inspiring sensory gardens guaranteed to make visitors feel good. I'm Joe Wiley from Radio 2 and we are in the Radio 2 Feel Good Gardens and this is the Scent Garden. And I'm Joe Malone and have loved every single second of working with Kate and Tamara on this project. 
Well, when I first met with uh, Tamara and Kate, we sat in in my shop and with all the plans for it all and looked at it. And we wanted to bring, you know, how your memory and kind of scent are so connected that you can think of a smell and it recreates you back to that. That's what this garden is very much about, this whole scent wall. You can see all the scent memories all along from... Um, fresh puppies to sugar beet to tomato plants growing so it, it creates these wonderful memories and we wanted people to stand in the garden and what was their memory what what brought back you know something that had happened in their past or even maybe in their future I contributed a memory um, this is going back to when I was a child and the person who got me into gardening was my granddad and he used to have a greenhouse and I just remember walking into the greenhouse and it was hot and steamy and the smell of those pungent tomatoes and that's on the wall here there's yours (laughs) mine is not so um, chic as that mine are horses muzzles I love the smell of horses and leather saddles and um, I love my horse Josie who I ride every year so my scent memory is horses muzzles the thing I love about this garden as well as the the scent wall is the planting and the different structures uh, the way they contrast so there's an angelica which is really tall and majestic and has the most incredible flower but then that's contrast with the roses that are around then the grasses and then the estrangia that is down here I love estrangia so that's possibly my favourite the angelica and the estrangia I love the foxgloves they're very dramatic and they make a real statement they stand and of course it has to be the white roses just there they have this really light cologne lemony smell and it takes me back to being a child in our family garden june saw the launch of a brand new major flower show in the magnificent grounds of chatsworth house in derbyshire it was a show that blended tradition with innovative design the show welcomed more than 90,000 garden lovers and despite the unpredictable British weather, visitors enjoyed not one but two floral marquees filled with scent and colour from plants brought in by many of the country's top nurseries and growers. These sat alongside a giant inflatable conservatory, a diverse range of displays and show gardens and a stunning floral bridge, all set against a backdrop of the gold-statued stately home, Capability Brown Gardens and the hills of the Peak District behind. One of the most popular exhibits was the RHS Gardening in a Changing Climate display, which demonstrated practical and attractive solutions to some of the challenges that new RHS research suggests gardeners may face in the future. Guy Barter went to find out more. Hello, I'm Guy Barter. I'm here at Chatsworth Flower Show in Derbyshire on a lovely summer day with the wind blowing and a light rain that keeping all the plants fresh and uh, healthy looking. I'm Eleanor Webster. I'm the climate scientist from the RHS. Eleanor, I understand there's a, a climate change report which you've had a hand in. Could you tell us a bit about it? So the RHS Gardening in a Changing Climate report was launched in April of this year and we looked at climate projections for the sort of next 20 years but also up to 2100 as well and we summarised what this might mean for gardeners. We collated a lot of evidence that's around at the moment and it culminated in three designs, one for the north of England which we expect to be um, wetter and milder in general um, and then the south of England which is sort of milder and hotter and then the southwest area which is a combination of the two. So whilst we're here at Chatsworth in Derbyshire um, we decided to bring to life um, the northern garden um, which is for what we project to be a lot of wetter conditions it may be warmer in the summer um, warmer in the winter but there will also be those cold snaps so what we've got here is we've got on on our right um, is a garden of now which you might expect so we've got grass and we've got a lovely herbaceous border um, and we've also got sort of just a, a panel fence um, and then on our left is a garden of the future 
And what we're looking at is how we might be able to manage water in the garden better, not only for our own garden, but also to benefit the wider community in terms of flood risk. Um, we use a lot of recycled materials where we can, and we also think about planting for that sort of wet-dry um, oscillation that we might be experiencing. Eleanor, can we go and have a closer look at some of the features that have been built into this wonderful garden to illustrate the things that you've highlighted in your climate change report? Over here, we've got some uh, side of the garden that runs up the outer hedge, and we've got some reused brick which is broken. And what we've done is red brick, and we've just scattered it over in a permeable layer on the soil. Um, very easy to do at home. I see there's a wonderful pond here. It looks as though it might be for capturing rainwater. Am I right? Yes, that's exactly it. So the whole whole garden designed around being permeable. So um, the pond um, is where the rainwater is eventually collected. Um, it gets to the pond through um, a variety of ways, uh, through sort of overland, through this sort of lovely meadow that we can see, because the pond is in the middle of a meadow that's planted up with a variety of plants that are ideal for pollinators. Um, so next, you can see here we've got a zigzag fence, which is in contrast um, to the old, um, to the current garden we can see here, which is a straight fence. So what we're expecting is much stronger winds um, during storms um, and also gale force winds. So what the zigzag does is it's a much stronger shape, which means that it stands up better to the winds. Um, the, the fence has also got vertical slats in it which means that the wind can travel through it as opposed to a totally solid um, fence panel the zigzag is also very nice because it can create little small microclimates and shelter and things like that so and, and, and alternative social spaces yeah, and also as well as your your porous fence which filters rather than blocks the wind you also put a couple of greenhouses in the sheltered corner are they to illustrate any particular facet you have in mind from the climate change report yeah, so there's the summers will actually be, be hopefully okay to be growing um, citrus fruits and things like that. But we've got those late frosts to deal with and, and also possibly um, cold cold sort of periods over the winter. So it's good to have a sort of big citrus tree in a planter. Um, and we can have it in a greenhouse where the doors are open um, or we can have them closed. But the idea is that the, the big planters are also on casters, so you can pull them out. Um, so when it's a particularly hot day and the greenhouse is very hot inside, you can just pull them and it's, it's very easy to do, um, but it means that they get a bit of fresh air and that the, the, the greenhouse is aerated. So I'm looking at a lovely lawn and herbaceous border here, the very thing that most people want in their garden at the moment. What's, um, what's to stop people having these in the future, Eleanor? In the current garden, um, on our right, you can see roses all planted together. Um, and whilst they look lovely, actually in the future when we get rainfall and also warm conditions it's going to be very mild and also damp around them which is going to be an ideal breeding ground for pests and diseases so when you plant the same thing all together um, the, the the whole crop can be can be ruined by pests and diseases so in the in the future garden on our left um, you can see very diverse planting also lots of spaces for the air to circulate around uh, so that if it does rain and it is hot there, there won't be that sort of breeding ground for those pests and diseases so Eleanor, there's some um, ponds and waterfalls here. What are they all about? So the water is a really good example of the contrast between the current garden and the garden of the future because what we really need to start thinking about is water storage during heavy rainfall events and also after storms and things like that. So what we've got here in the garden of the future is we've got a series of water butts which are sort of underneath a bench um, so they're sort of hidden away and quite discreet. And then when those water pots fill up, they overspill into a, a pond, which then runs into a pond that's slightly lower than that. And then that eventually ends up in a rill, which runs through the meadow to that pond um, at the end where the, where the water eventually ca is captured. 
So this garden is really a glimpse of the future where you can see it's, even though it's going to be a very different climate, they are still possible to have a, a lovely garden and features that ameliorate the effect of the climate, making it nicer for people and nicer for wildlife and help to preserve biodiversity in towns and cities, prevent flooding. There's a lot of features here, all of which could be introduced today to a small extent in existing gardens and will probably be the, very similar to the garden of the future. If you want to find out more about this, visit the Royal Horticultural Society website where there's uh, several pages um, devoted to Green in Grey Britain with links to practical ways of helping you with your own gardening and making your own garden greener. And if you want to read our climate change report, I believe it's available on the website. Isn't that so, Eleanor? Exactly, yeah. So um, it's rhs.org.uk forward slash climate change. And on that page, you can download the PDF of the, of the full report. There's also lots of information um, about all the things we've talked about today, in addition to other podcasts that we've done in relation to gardening and a changing climate. You can find more details of next year's RHS Flower Shows and buy tickets on our website. One of the highlights of the 2016 Chelsea Flower Show was the RHS display designed by Anne-Marie Powell, which focused on the benefits gardens and gardening can bring to individuals and communities. After the show had finished, the entire garden was transported to the Angeltown Estate in London. The RHS has been working closely with the residents to teach them key gardening skills. We went back to the estate this spring to see how residents are enjoying their new garden and what a difference it has made to their community. Well, here we are um, in Angel Town. We are standing in the garden today where a gang of people is replanting and weeding and getting it ready for a burst of colour in the spring. This year, we're having a, a big push on the Green in Grey Britain initiative. We're encouraging people to take any unplanted, dull plants area or one that's not quite up to snuff um, and get it planted up and looking good for the benefit of the environment, pollinators and to make people feel better and improve the environment. That's what we've done in the last year here at Angel Town where the RHS Health and Wellbeing Garden um, made a trip from Chelsea to here where it's replanted by the community. But for 2017, we've got a new initiative. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a Green in Grey Britain garden at the Chelsea Flower Show. And there, uh, Professor Nigel Dunnett from Sheffield University is going to use his particular and unique skills in selecting really robust plants that spread, mingle together and form an ecologically beneficial community that's also extremely beautiful. I'm just loosening up the soil a bit and making it look a bit fresher. And then the weeds, uh, they kill all the good plants. Do they do? Uh, um, my name is William, I'm 10 years old and I did come last year. And afterwards we're going to the food place. Yeah, we're going to grow some vegetables and fruits. Yeah. After Chelsea Flower Show, um, all Professor Dunnett's plants are going to be put on a wagon and taken out into the country, wherever this uh, lucky winner is. And uh, in the meantime, during Chelsea, uh, we'll have arranged for a landscape contractor to come along and prepare the ground. And so as soon as the lorry arrives, uh, the lucky winners and their community can gather together and plant up the garden. Professor Dunnett will give guidance on how to mingle the plants and put them in so that for the best effect. And after the first year of watering, there will be a garden that should last for many, many years. We've got a similar one at RHS Garden Wisley that's been down for at least seven years and needs only minimal maintenance. There was kale here. Oh, it's being cut down. Wow, look at that. And we had mint, rosemary, thyme. We had 
three types of thyme. Um, we had purple potatoes and normal potatoes. We have coriander. We had every, we had whatever anyone could come up with. We had it. Hi, I'm Joshua Hamaya. I've been working with Simon for at least two years now. Um, the work that we do, gardening, there's always a good outcome and a positive outcome. This right here, this is corn. This is regrowing. This is regrowing because this is exactly where the corn was. Hi, my name is Rosalind Tenricus and I'm an Angel Town resident. I've been involved in gardening for as long as I can remember one way or another. And then we got this wonderful opportunity through the RHS and the Chelsea Flower Show of having a garden where I live on Angeltown. I thought, yay! So I was so excited about that. This year, in the vegetable garden, we are going to cram this with more vegetables, cram it with more people and have far more produce to share around and enjoy exactly, exactly. and teach and learn new skills from each other. Yeah. Um, that's in this vegetable garden where we are here. And then across the way in the Chelsea Flower Garden, yeah, we can now say we've got Chelsea Flower yeah, I know. Garden. <laughs> we've just um, planted a lot more plants, put some more colour in, mm-hmm. refreshed it a bit, took the weeds up, met new people yet again and had new inquiries. Exactly. So it's just really good work, you know, getting down on your hands and knees, low yeah, down I and know. dirty. <laughs> <laughs> you just become inspired, like, oh my God, we've got all this space. You know, we can do so much with this space, you know? It's like, you know, especially for the whole community, it's just, right. it's, it's a way, it makes you feel this is home, you know, whereas before... It gives people didn't... ownership as well, exactly. so they look after it more. It's just, it's just good therapy. Yeah, it's, it's, good, it's good therapy. It's, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. I really enjoy it, you know, because now me and Rosa, we were neighbours for a while, isn't it? Yes, and we yeah. never spoke to each other, and then we met up on this. And go, yeah. Take uh, me in. <laughs> We're a really good team, so that itself is expressing how great it is and how useful it is in making new relationships and inspiring each other and working together. Well, that's almost all we have time for. But before we go, let's hear the last 2017 instalment of our Plant Encounters series. Each month, botanist James Armitage has been telling us the intriguing stories behind some of the weird and wonderful specimens in Wisley's Beds and Borders. In this instalment, James meets the plant equivalent of a living dinosaur. There can be few terms in the English language that excite the mind so thrillingly as the word discovery. At its utterance, visions of faraway places and adventure arise in imagination and moments of high drama are evoked. What could better encapsulate the wild romance that is the very spirit of discovery than the finding of the dawn redwood, Metasequoia glyptus triboides, a living fossil? In July 1943, Chan Wang, a young lecturer of dendrology, was travelling in Hubei province, China, when he was taken ill and was forced to make a stop in the Wanjian district. There he learned from the principal of the local agricultural high school of the existence of a strange tree that grew at Mudao some three days' journey away. Wang decided to make a detour to see for himself this mysterious population. What he found was a deciduous conifer, the like of which had once covered much of the globe and shared the world with dinosaurs. But knowing nothing of this, Wang simply took a specimen and resumed his trip back to his university. On his return, he identified the sample as Glyptostrobos pensilis and lodged it in the Institute's herbarium. There it remained undisturbed for two years until it was unearthed by Professor Wan Chun Cheng, who first identified it as Chianodendron sinensi before deciding it was an entirely new species. 
For confirmation the following year, he sent specimens to Dr. Sen Su Hu, one of the greatest of all Chinese botanists. It was Hu's assistant who found a Japanese paper from five years previously describing the genus Metasequoia from fossil fragments, and it dawned on the men that before them lay a living example of a tree that had been thought extinct for millions of years. Hu communicated the find to Professor Ralph Cheney, curator of the Museum of Paleontology, University of California, Berkeley, and so news of the extraordinary discovery was broken to the world. At once the race was on to establish the tree in cultivation outside China, and American funding was found to allow Wan Chun Cheng to send an assistant to collect seed. About two kilograms of seed was harvested, and around Christmas 1947, this was distributed to institutions in the United States, Asia and Europe. A major recipient was Asian plant expert Dr Elmer Merrill, director of the Arnold Arboretum of Harvard, and he set about disseminating them still further. One beneficiary of seed sent from the Arnold Arboretum was Charles McLaren, 3rd Baron Aberconway of Bodnant House and later President of the Royal Horticultural Society. At least a portion of his allocation he passed on to the RHS Garden at Wisley, where the seed was received on 2nd February 1948. From this, a number of seedlings were raised, of which 14 can still be found in the garden today. They are among the very oldest dawn redwoods to be found anywhere in the world outside their native range. It is perhaps surprising that these trees have proved with the passing years to be very variable in habit and character, some short and squat, others tall and elegant. The largest and possibly finest grows near the entrance to the Pinetum, where it is a marvellous sight, its orange trunk twisted and knotted as though it were some remnant of an enchanted forest, and goblins and sprites might run among its branches. In 1949, only a year after seeds of Metasequoia had been released to the west, the New People's Republic was founded and China became closed to the outside world for the next 30 years. Professor Hu, who had recognised the Dawn Redwood as a living relic from prehistory, died in 1968 and is now regarded as the founder of modern plant taxonomy in China. Chan Wang, the first man to collect a specimen of Metasequoia, died in the year 2000, at the advanced age of 90. Three years later, Lord Aberconway also passed away, aged 89. In autumn, the leaves of the dawn redwood and the Wisley Pinetum glow amber and russet and fall to the ground in drifts, reappearing fresh and green each spring, as though the tree were the embodiment of the idea of hope, the tenacity of life, and the wonder of discovery. You can see illustrations, information, and archive photos of the plants and their stories on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash Wisley Plant Encounters. So I'm afraid that's all for today. If we've missed any of your favourite moments, you can revisit them and listen again to any of our podcasts as they're all listed on our website and archived on iTunes, an ideal way to while away those cold, dark winter days. For links and listings, see rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast index. We'll be back with more expert advice, gardening features and interviews in 2018. Until then, remember you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. For now, from me, Sean Thomas and all the podcast team, goodbye and Happy New Year. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. 
It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.